Hi, I'm Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Children of Chaos. Today we have gathered several friends to discuss what is referred to as the 11th step prayer or the St. Francis prayer in many 12-step recovery programs. And today we have our friends Amy, Megan, and Jonathan here with us, and they will introduce themselves shortly. But to start off, our, our subject is the St. Francis prayer today, and it is used in many, but not all, recovery-based organizations. While it is not used in all, the thought of prayer and meditation is used in most of those. And I have a reading here from the book Narcotics Anonymous on page 46. Prayer is communicating our concerns to a power greater than ourselves. Sometimes when we pray, a remarkable thing happens. We find the means, ways, and energies to perform tasks far beyond our capacities. We grasp the limitless strength provided for us through daily prayer and surrender as long as we keep faith and renew it. For some, prayer is asking for God's help. Meditation is listening for God's answer. We learn to be careful of praying for specific things. We pray that God will show us his will and that he will help us carry that out. In some cases, he makes his will so obvious to us that we have little difficulty seeing it. In others, our egos are so self-centered that we won't accept God's will for us without another struggle and surrender. If we pray for God to remove any distracting influences, the quality of our prayers usually improves and we feel the difference. Prayer takes practice we should remind ourselves that skilled people were not born with their skills. It took lots of effort on their part to develop them. Through prayer, we seek conscious contact with our God. In meditation, we achieve this contact, and the 11th step helps us to maintain it. So Rusty, would you give us a little bit of a background on the St. Francis Prayer? Uh, rusty alcoholic. The anonymous text that is usually called the prayer of St. Francis or peace prayer or simple prayer for peace or make me an instrument of peace is a widely known Christian prayer for peace often associated with the Italian St. Francis of Assisi who was born in 1182 and died in 1226 but it was entirely absent from his writings the prayer in its present form has not been traced back further than 1912. Its first known occurrence was in French in a small spiritual magazine called The Little Bell, published by a Catholic organization in Paris named The League of the Holy Mass. The author's name was not given, although it may have been the founder of that paper that originated it. The prayer was heavily publicized during World War I and World War II. It has been frequently set to music by notable songwriters and quoted by prominent leaders. 
Then it goes on to say, the Franciscan order does not include the prayer in its official prayer of St. Francis. And a church historian has noted that the phrasing of the first half of the text, let me, is atypically self-oriented for Francis. The most painful moment usually comes when the students discover that St. Francis did not write Peace Prayer of St. Francis. Noble as its sentiments are, Francis would not have written such a piece focused as it is on the self with its constant repetition of the pronouns I and me, the words God and Jesus, never appearing once. However, the prayer has been recommended by members of the order, while not attributing it to St. Francis. It says the earliest known record of the prayer is its appearance as a beautiful prayer to say during Mass. In December 1912, issue of the small devotional French Catholic publication, the Bulletin of the League of the Holy Mass, Although the prayer was publicly published anonymously, few exceptions, the text was generally written by its founding editor, Father Esther, and I'm going to spell this because I have no way of saying it, B-O-U-Q-U-E-R-E-L. So with that said, we're going to open up the discussion. Each person that's here today will talk a little bit about how the 11-step prayer has influenced our lives since all of us have been in recovery for quite a while. So I'm going to ask Megan to start, if she would, and we'll go around and and just talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to open it up for discussion. Hi, my name is Megan, and I am an alcoholic. And Tim had asked if I would read the prayer, the 11-step prayer. So I'm going to do that first. And it says, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven, and it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. So I first became familiar with this prayer through the Catholic Church, and I really liked it. And the thing that was really drew my attention because I was always talking to my dad, my dad and I were really close, and I was always saying, you know, Nobody understands me because I was having some discord in my marriage. And, and so it was, I found myself always saying that. I, no one understands me. And then when I started reading this prayer and it said, it's better to, to understand than to be understood, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning that I was like, whoa, I'm like really being self-focused here, you know, when I'm saying nobody understands me, you know, whining about that. So that was my first experience with the prayer as far as how it just really kind of brought some light to my life and self-awareness. But then when I lived in Colorado, I was a part of a morning meditation group. It was our 11-step meditation, and we met every morning at 6.30. And we had, it was just basically part of the big book. 
it was basically, you know, we started with the on awakening piece and went through the third step prayer. And then in the part in the big book about in thinking about our day and then the seventh step prayer, did the St. Francis prayer or the 11th step prayer. And then it talked a little bit about as beginners in meditation and the paragraph about lying on a sunlit beach and that part of the 12 and 12 and then brought it back. You know, we do a silent period of meditation and then we close with, uh, we usually conclude this period of meditation. And then at the, at the end, what, you know, we usually take time and go around and share. But it really became evident to me at that time when I was, you know, using this as my meditation that just as the fruits of the Spirit are kind of a goal of how to try to live my life and have a little basic text, and so is this prayer, because some of the same things that are the fruit of the Spirit are, are also in this prayer. And mm -hmm. so I just, I really have always held it really close to my heart. Jonathan? I'm Jonathan. I am an alcoholic. 11-step prayer is important to me, but I didn't start with the 11-step prayer. I said my first prayer of my life at 40 years old in a psychiatric hospital because my first sponsor had me read the third step prayer where I offer myself to God to do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. First prayer I ever said in my life. And um, I was on my knees like he told me to. And I, I didn't have too much connection except I was amazed that I was actually doing what he asked me to do. That's not how I did my life. I did what I wanted to do and lied to you. So there was a difference. There was something different there. And the way that I'm an al alcoholic and Alcoholics Anonymous, the way that's laid out is you don't just jump through it all. You go step by step. So I went from there to the seven-step prayer. And eventually, as I cleaned my life up, because uh, their steps clean your life up, the stuff that you ignored for years, you, you start the process of cleaning it. And then you get to this 11th step. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him. And I was ready for it when I got to it. And then there's that prayer, the 11th step prayer. And I was saying it regularly and I was learning how to meditate. The thing in, in the 12 step programs is there's nobody really teaches you how to meditate. You just say, go do meditation, and you go, uh, okay. So you read books, and, and it wasn't working very well for me. I would sit, but it, it just felt like, this is children of chaos. <laughs> I felt like I was just stepping in chaos when I sat. My mind went crazy. My body hurt. I would wiggle all over the place, touch my face a zillion times. I couldn't stop. So I knew I needed some practice. I needed something. So a friend of mine talked to me about a, yoga ashram in New York, Kripalu, and I went there and I got instruction on how they did it. And it really helped. And I came back and then I was several years sober. I knew that the spiritual connection was the most important thing. I felt it, but I wasn't really connected. I was trying, but I wasn't connected. And I went out to uh, Esalen in California and spent time there and they do a, it's a very contemplative kind of community and uh, I, I kept trying and eventually ended up in Asia and and with monks and things and um, 
There's lots of different ways to meditate. And some of it just didn't work for me, like mind control, we're controlling on, on a single point, things like that. It didn't work. It's very difficult. And uh, finally, I, I learned a form of meditation, which is a Soto Zen, kind of a Soto Zen form, where you just sit and watch your breath. Just pay attention to what is. What's coming across your mind? You don't grab onto it, you let it go by. Emotions come and go. Body sensations come and go. Sometimes over and over and over. And in a way, it's cultivating the observer. And all of a sudden, the... Uh, the 11th step prayer meant something more to me. It was basically the model of what I want to be in life. I, I want to do that. When there's doubt, may I bring faith. When there's sadness, may I bring joy. Grant me to seek rather, to comfort rather than to be comforted. And at this stage of my life, I'm 73 now. 74, I am 74. Um, that my kids are all grown up. I'm not attached to a wife at this point. I'm in the 12-step uh, program a lot. All my friends are in recovery. And I have a lot of time to pray and meditate and work with others. It's kind of um, finally found what I'm supposed to be doing, the most comfortable I've ever been. I don't know whether it truly qualifies as self-forgetting, but I'm finding. So what it says for it is by self-forgetting that one finds. Mm. It is forgiving that one is forgiven. It's by dying that one awakens. My old life, the selfish, self-centered, egotistical, grandiose life has died. I, it, mm -hmm. I can remember it. Mm -hmm. It is a memory. And all of that behavior search were self-centered behaviors or a memory. And so I'm the most happy when I'm working with someone else, when I'm passing it along, because it says, and I believe what they said, what Bill said was, in order to keep it, you have to pass it on. The 12 step says, we will pass it on. And um, so the three steps, 10, 11, and 12, are the maintenance steps. When I'm wrong, I admit it, and I go fix, fix it best I can get quiet meditation and prayer and then I pass this along in all my affairs and so this truly I credit this with saving my life and finding finding a way for me to then find what I am supposed to be doing for the rest of my life thank you Jonathan Amy hello I'm Amy I'm an alcoholic I am just super excited to be here I almost feel like a kid, you know, like I get super excited. <laughs> I can hardly contain myself because we're talking about my favorite subject, which is God mm -hmm. and recovery. And we bring in my absolute favorite saint and talk <laughs> about, you know, this, this prayer. The reason why I'm so connected to this saint in particular is because I was born on his feast day, October oh. the 4th. And I feel like he is my very special saint. When I came into recovery, I was pretty apprehensive about all this God stuff because, you know, I was raised Catholic and I thought that maybe I was entering a cult. I was like, AA could be a cult, mm -hmm. you know, and then I'm, I'm looking at the big book and it's we agnostics. And I was like, whoa, see, you know, 
point proven, you know, I, I'm joining a cult and, you know, and I got real scared and freaked out. But just like a kid would do, you know, I like, and an alcoholic, I like to fast forward and look at the back of the book and see where, see where it lands, you know, so I'm fast forwarding, you know, I'm looking this stuff up and, and, and this piece fell over me because it was like, okay, well maybe this cult is mine because here's this St. Francis prayer that I'm familiar with. And here's this saint that's my favorite, whom I love. And I've always just tried to emulate, you know, what he did with St. Francis. Like it was a full surrender. Like he gave up his whole life. He gave up his riches, his wealth, his family even to follow God and to follow a more contemplative way of life. And I've always just really admired that. Now, my surrender came in the form of I have to fully surrender myself to God, to this program, to helping others in order to be sober. There's no other way. And so when you look at this prayer, my favorite part of it is by self-forgetting that, that one finds. And so I knew that when I got sober and I went over to the shelf, I'm in, I'm in the treatment center, <laughs> I went over the shelf, I pulled down the big book because I had had this spiritual awakening that I knew I never had to drink again for the rest of my entire life. But on the flip side of that, I knew that I also had to help other alcoholics. And that is what I've dedicated my life. It's the same sort of surrender, you know, I believe that St. Francis had, you know, like in this prayer, it's okay, yes, I know that God is going to help me. But how can I let God use me to help someone else? And I think that that's why I just really love this, you know, why I love this prayer so much. And I was listening to the song as I was driving in town, you know, to be with you guys. I was, I was listening to the words of the song and just letting it really permeate. And it's the part that giving that we receive. It's by giving. So it's fully giving of myself and what the program has given me, the tools that have been given to me that I receive. I receive his grace in such an abundant way, you know, through prayer and meditation. You know, my meditation these days comes in the form of praying my rosary. But I love that it's guided through this St. Francis prayer for all of us. And so, you know, what I've learned is that, you know, and we agnostics is that we can come into the program not fully understanding who God is, but he understands us. And then we do this surrender that we don't have to be understood, like what Megan was saying. We don't have to be understood, but God understands us. And it's by helping others, you know, that we receive, you know, the greatest gift that God could give us. Beautiful. My uh, experience with the 11th step prayer has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. The longer I'm in recovery, the more that the St. Francis prayer, the 11th step prayer means to me. I remember reading it in the beginning, in the 12 and 12. And the words were there, but I didn't feel it like what I feel today. And as the years have gone by, and I still, I am a big advocate of the 12 and 12, and I love to be in meetings with people that, that like we have at our home group, where we study the 12 and 12. And when we get to the 10th and 11th step prayers, Jonathan was talking about, I get excited because I know that people are going to discuss this stuff on a level that I want to say normies, whatever normies are, 
that they may not discuss in, in an hour's meeting. The 11-step prayer, like you guys, it's that self-forgetting. That has become so real for me. I mean, it's a part of who I am today. It's by forgiving that one is forgiven. And that's one of the biggest obstacles I see in people's lives today. Not just alcoholics, addicts, or eating disorder, you name it, but the everyday Tom, Dick, and Harry that's out there living in my practice, and I've retired now, but in my practice, there were a lot of people that weren't in recovery that I worked with, and it always came down to they had all these resentments at others, and that's what it boils down to in NAA, too. All these resentments that we have with other people to go through this process that the 12 steps take us and then to end up in the final three steps and the 11-step prayer gives me a guide as to how I want to live my life as I progress into the 12th step. Although I'm, I'm doing 12 steps from probably the day I came in here, but today it's, it's just so a part of my whole being. It's part of my soul. And it's, as you said, Jonathan, it's who I want to be today. There's no one right now that I hold any resentment at today. No one. When it's time for my, my time to go, I, that's the way I want to go out. I want to go out with that feeling that I'm even with, with the planet here. I'm with every human being. Now, to do that, you've got to live, I've got to live my life a certain way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's still not easy for me. So it has helped me. Those last two uh, lines, and I'll read them again. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. And I, I truly believe this with every fiber in me. The 12 steps gave me that. And it's opened up a whole nother world for me for the God of my understanding. So why don't we open it up now and anybody uh, can follow up and anything that we want to talk about it how you uh, might work with this if you want about with other people that you sponsor or that how you try to live this daily in your own life. Well, Rusty, you, you brought up resentment, which I think is key. By the time we get to the 11th step, 10, 11, 12, we should have hopefully taken care of most of our resentments. Not all of them, they'll show up, but we have a way in 10 to get rid of them. So I got this resentment, something, I need to do something about this. So we become clear enough, not 100% clear, but clear as a human, to be able to embody the 11th step prayer. So in me, they, they were talking about in me and through me that we get to do God's work. We're not evangelizing, we're just out there helping. Now, it's even harder, the first part of this, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Well, in order for that to happen, we will really have to clear ourselves out a lot. It takes a lot of work. Now, I'm only 33 years sober. Rusty, you're 40 years sober. You're how many years? 25. Yeah, we, so we all had a long, long sobriety. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get to that place where you've uncovered the big resentments or the medium resentments. Maybe there's just some that are stuck there. But it allows us to receive peace. God's peace comes through us. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. We can bring the spirit of forgiveness because as we forgive, so we're forgiven. So I, I just think that there's a reason why this is at the end of the steps mm-hmm. because that work has to be done. And I even had a guy this morning in our meeting who got up and got a desire chip because he 
I know, I work with him, I sponsor him. And he's been holding resentments for a long time. And he's tried to get rid of them, and he hasn't been able to yet. He had a real problem with the God concept, even though he was raised a certain religion. And yet, he gets tripped up. And so last night, he, he took something. He's honest enough, he came up and mm -hmm. he got a desire chip and he said to me, we need to start working the steps again. I said, amen, brother, <laughs> yes, we do, <laughs> let's do that, let's set some times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it takes what it takes to get, up, to, get to this place. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot to be able to sit in meditation and, and have that meditation be a meditation rather than just a struggle or dissociation, which many people call meditation. So if I sit there and I'm daydreaming, that's not a meditation, that's a daydream. And daydreams are fun, but it's really not meditation. Mm -hmm. Meditation is a clearing and a being with what is happening right now and not going, not taking the, as the thought comes across my mind field, I don't take it and construct a whole scenario <laughs> and go off into a daydream, that's a daydream. And so as we cultivate this, process of being present, being present, being present, we can see the resentments that show up. Mm -hmm. And we can clear them, and then we can start to become an instrument. Lord, make me a channel of mm -hmm. that peace. Make me clear enough to be a channel, and to do all of these things that are offered to us in the 11th step prayer. Jonathan, you hit on the point that comes home for me, and that is indicated that this all takes time and it takes practice. The four of you have been here a lot longer than I have. I have a tenth of the time Rusty has, but I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. I'm practicing the steps as a part of my daily life. And I find that in this prayer, that there are two parts that I truly believe, but that I personally have a hard time with. And one is the self-forgetting. I think that that is one of those things that comes with time and practice. But one that I have a hard time with is, Lord, grant that I may seek to comfort rather than be comforted. I have a terminal disease. That is what is most likely going to kill me one day. And it is a very slow process to learn that I know that this is happening. I know that this is going on with my body, but when I don't feel good, I just want to be comforted. I want it to be all about me, which there's the self-forgetting that just went right out the window. And so we have to practice and pray, and it's a continual process. I try and spend most of my time in steps 3 and 10 and 11. Doesn't always work. Sometimes I slide down a rung or two and I gotta climb back up. But this is where I've found I want to live my life actively in recovery, is in 3, 10, 11, 12. And it's practice. And no one said it was gonna be easy, but the desire to drink has gone away. The practice to be the human being that I should have been a long time ago takes a lot of work. And this prayer really brings that home. So uh, I was in a meeting the other day, the rest of you were in it, and this guy uh, took exception to self-forgetting. He says, I, I, you know, like, I am, I am nothing. I think that of myself, I'm nothing. And he said, I, I don't want to be nothing. You know, I don't, I'm not going to do that. 
Yeah, I'm not going to be nothing. Yeah. And in the spiritual world, when they talk about self-forgetting or being nothing, they're talking about accepting the higher power, accepting God, and let God come in you and through you. But you know those jokes we hear like, um, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. Oh, yeah. And I've talked about myself long enough. Why don't you talk about me for a while? You know, that kind of thing. You know, that, that's a, this, this really, really incredible self self uh, focus. Well, I, I remember when I got here for many years, it was like uh, I never wanted to be the hole in the donut. Yeah, exactly. But today, I am the hole in the yes, donut. You are. I want to be the hole in the donut. Yeah. I want yeah. to have that. What what they refer to as the hole in the donut. I, I want to be that today. Yeah. Whereas, if it doesn't tell me anything else, is the ego might be a little bit smaller than it was when I got here. They used to refer to it to us. They were damaged when we got here. So we had a God-shaped hole. And what you're talking about is that God-shaped hole got filled with God. When, when I came into recovery, um, my sponsor was talking to me because I was really intent on wanting to know what is the right way to do this you know it was like I wanted instructions A, B, C and she said Megan um, working your program in recovery you have your textbook just like you have you aren't going to go climb that mountain without having a guide without having a path you know and so that's what this text that's what the big book is is my textbook but she said how you going how you navigate that is going to be different you're not going to climb the mountain the same way I am because my legs are a lot longer and so it gave me some malleability with how to, you know, work the program for myself. And, and today, though, how I use this prayer is when I have a sponsee that comes to me and, you know, having one of those 911 calls, I try to listen, you know, to what, what it is. What is, their, what is it at the very core? What's really going on? And usually, if I listen to it, I can find one of the topics in here that is the real issue. And so, you know, if they're coming in, they're really afraid because they just got, you know, found out they're going to have surgery next week. And they, how are they going to manage that? Is their job going to understand? And, you know, and so I'll just look at the, you know, use my 11-step prayer and look at it and say, okay, what can I do to offer them or give them an assignment to help them define that for themselves? And it's just really a good tool for that because I use it for my little guide for life. And so I'm trying to help them. I don't tell them until later in the, you know, when we're, they're in the steps about how I use the prayer, but in the process of getting them through the steps and through their, you know, all the things that we have that we think are dire problems when we're in early sobriety, just to give them some hope and some peace and to have something, you know, so that they can keep moving forward. Because if you're not feeling like things are coming together a little bit, you know, just that little bit better every day, you're going to throw up your hands or give up and so this is just a wonderful resource for that and even if I'm not in a place where I can listen at the time mm -hmm. and I have to call them back I'll go and read this prayer before I call them just so I can kind of get my mind and get out of myself and what's going on in my life so I can be available to really listen to what you know what her concern is right. and so it's, it's, it's just a good little tool for life I think when Tim was talking a while ago about the problems that he had with some of that, for me, it's like the more that I read this, the more I become willing to open myself up because this was so foreign to me, especially from growing up in, in a very religious, very condemning church. And my family felt that way. I mean, 
and I've talked about this, so I, sometimes I'm sick, sick of talking about it, but it, it's like I had this fear that consumed me about going to hell. I really had that. I mean, it wasn't just something that you read. I knew that I was going to hell, and the way that they presented it, for, for someone when you're such a young person and you hear all those words over and over, you really do come to believe it, or I did. So when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and start was all these prayers, the third step, the seventh step prayer, and especially the 11th step that we're talking about today, it's all about love. Everything here is about love. God is love. Jesus is love. Whatever your, whatever your belief is, it boils down to, I chose a loving God in myself. And everything in here is, to me, interprets as a loving God. So, and that gives me so much comfort. It helps me in every, every area of my life today. And it has for a long time. You know, when it talks about I may bring hope and where there are shadows, I may bring light. We in recovery deal with a lot of people that are living in the shadow world. And if I can get out of self enough and bring what I believe is, is the message for me and for other alcoholics and addicts or is if I can bring that light, hopefully, if they're willing, it's going to help bring them out of the shadows because that's where I lived in the shadows. It's a whole different concept about how to live your life and not to be, not to be religious, but if, even in my darkest days when I didn't believe in anything else, I believed in, in Jesus. I've said this before, you can use any word on the planet in a meeting, but if you bring up that word, you're in deep doo-doo. Uh, because it's, a, especially because we're in the Bible Belt, and people are so, they attach everything to that, to religion. And you know this, Jonathan, I read a lot about Jesus and all those different things. You know, Richard Rohr's got this new book out that I'm beginning to read. And whenever I talk about that, I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about a person that I could look to that gave me peace within myself. You know, I went back to the Emmett Fox uh, yeah. on the Mount, on the Mount. And the preface to it, when he says, no matter whether you believe Jesus was the Son of God, uh -huh. or whether he was just a really good guy, or whether he was a prophet, he changed the world more than any other single individual. Mm -hmm. And so this is the sermon he gave, and I'm going to break it down and go through it. Mm -hmm. And that's how he said it. He just said it's for everybody. Right. These words are for everybody. You don't have to, you don't have to be religious mm -hmm. to get something out of these words. Right. When I was in India, they'd say, God is too big one name and one faith so everybody that has faith has faith in the same god mm -hmm. okay it's just one mm -hmm. so whatever you want to call them i believe that and who can argue with the 11th step prayer who can argue with that i know kim you said you have a terminal illness i do also and it's tried to kill me several times in kind of dramatic fashion <laughs> uh -huh. and uh -huh. i didn't want to say that because that's your story <laughs> not my story yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This last time, um, it was kind of something that was done to me, but it, the way my body reacted because I, I didn't have enough blood to solve the problem, mm -hmm. I was in the hospital for months. And uh, I went to a whole different place in faith because the pain was relentless. It was 
this relentless pain. I thought I knew pain. I didn't know this. And it went on and on and on. And I just prayed over and over and over, holding my foot. It was in my foot. Holding my foot, praying, and just praying. And the thing that was so interesting, never experienced this before, but my room was always full of friends. <laughs> just kept showing up. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't doing it alone. And when they weren't there, I had God. I was holding my foot. God was there because I was talking to do, mm. to him a lot. And it went on. This is a long period of time. And the doctor said, are you sure you want to keep doing this? The nurses were going, who are you? Where are all these people coming from? Mm -hmm. It was an incredible experience. And at first, I had a hard time really receiving, mm -hmm. receiving all the love I was getting. Mm -hmm. now, I knew how to give love. I learned how to do that. I really had never learned how to receive that. See, but with emotion right now, that was the hardest thing for me. Mm -hmm. And then I let it happen. <laughs> and it changed me even more. I came out of that hospital different. I wish there was a different way to get there because that was painful. And, and they said to me right before, they said, the three doctors looked at me and said, we, we need to amputate or you're going to die. And they said, well, I didn't come in here to die. Well, that's not the point. The point was to keep my foot. But if you say I'm going to die, what do I need to do? They said, we want to cut your foot off tomorrow. And mm -hmm. so I agreed, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm not suicidal mm -hmm. anymore. I came out of there different, physically different. Went down to 129 pounds. I was like a skeleton, and I, I didn't know anything at that point. It was almost like it was a, I was a walking into another life. I was walking me into another life, different level of faith. And um, all of a sudden, all of the spiritual and religious practices I'd ever done meant something deeper. They all meant something deeper. Every connection to another person was deeper. It's all important. And then I remembered a book by Millman, No Ordinary Moments. Mm -hmm. There are no real words. I can, I can make them ordinary, but they're not ordinary. And um, so uh, yeah, this 11-step prayer doesn't mean, it, it, it doesn't have the deepest meaning until you've done whatever needs to happen to open you up to the deep meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the instruction from whatever God you want. It doesn't matter who wrote it. Mm -hmm. This is where peace comes from. This is where a meaningful life comes from, for us. Mm -hmm. I'm saying for all of us because mm -hmm. yeah. most of us didn't have meaningful lives until we got in here. We had selfish, self-centered, destructive lives, suicidal type lives. And if we didn't get in here, we know what happened. We either get sobered up, we get covered up, we get locked up, and that's the truth. We've seen it. But we get here, and whatever has to happen, if you stick around long enough and do the work, we get to understand what this 11-step prayer means. And we get clear enough to say, yeah, I'll be, I will be helpful. I will have whoever God you are work through me, in me and through me to the best of my ability. And that's a meaningful life. And I'm okay because, Tim, you and I are both going to go, you know, and it's okay. Well, we're all going to go. We're all going. We're all going. We're guys. No. We're all going to go. We're going to live forever, Rusty. No doubt. I mean... In listening to you just now, you made me think of something, though, through your pain and agony that you went through to get 
to where you are today. You know, I read in Step 11 out of the NA book, which we've read in this book study that I take part in, and most of these books are trying to lead us towards a more spiritual life, but also understanding recovery as a whole and different programs. But it talks about prayer and meditation. I can pray. I'm not going to say I pray well, but I pray. I'm driving down the street and I see a beautiful cloud and I just say, thank you, God. I can pray. I suck at meditation because I wind up daydreaming. I cannot focus on one thing. And when you were talking about your struggle, I thought, yes, I can meditate. There is one time that I am able to meditate and block everything out except my breathing. And that is when I come to a point that I cannot breathe. Janice and I will be sitting around talking, doing whatever, and she knows when I go silent, I can't breathe. She doesn't try to interject. She doesn't do a thing. She just shuts up and lets me focus. Breathing in and breathing out. And it's worked. And then it becomes a point where it's not anymore. And that peace and tranquility that's right there and when I say my first word, after I can breathe again, it's all gone. But there is that moment, but it's not for hours. It's a minute or two long that that peace and tranquility is there, and it's just me and God. You're describing meditation. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. you're You're mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. focused on the breath, which is the mm-hmm. moment you can't not breathe a breath from a few minutes ago or from the future. It's right now. Mm-hmm. The breath in is right now. The breath Mm -hmm. out is right now. The hardest thing is to follow it. And when you get that, you can't breathe, so you have to follow it. You're right there. You go right into the meditation, a single point. It's an amazing feeling when you can do it. But willingly, I can't do that. Yet. Practice. (laughs) Yeah. Practice. Right. Practice. Amy? There's been some really good discussion today, and the forgiveness thing is what has really stuck out to me, you know, when Jonathan was talking about, you know, resentments and forgiveness and all that. And, you know, we do have the tools and the steps, you know, to go through that. Sometimes, however, you know, we have things that are so deeply embedded, and some things we don't even, that can't even be brought to our awareness right away. And I had a resentment one time that lasted for, I think, 26 years. <laughs> and, you know, it was like not because I had failed at, you know, trying to confront it head on, you know, through my step work and through going to confession to priests. And I mean, it would just keep on coming back. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm just, and finally, 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 it got to the point where I was like, okay, I am ready to let this go and you know i and it and it happened in a confessional in europe (laughs) i was with a priest and finally i was like you know and i am just boohooing because i was like i just uh, i'm done with this you know and it didn't even have anything to do with me it was between my parents you know it was not even my issue but yet i kept on bringing it back Mm -hmm. and i couldn't seem to let it go and it caused me so much pain and it caused such a rift in my relationship with with my with my father and this priest, he was an old Irish man, he said just the sweetest thing. He said, you know what? He said, don't feel so bad that this has taken 26 years 
for you to let go. He says sometimes we, we have ice around our heart and it takes years to chip it away. He said, we can't just expect for it to melt on its own. You know, we have to work at it, you know, a little bit at a time. And he said, now, he said, you can finally be the daughter you want to be. And you know, he gave me three years with my dad before he passed away that was just such a gift because I had finally let that go. And recently I had an experience, you know, with my, with my daughter. I, it was a hidden resentment. I didn't even know I had it. My 13-year-old, you know, and it was brought to my attention, you know, by a priest. And I just boohooed. I couldn't believe it. And it was like once that was brought to light through darkness mm -hmm. <laughs> the, uh, of my inner soul, you know, once that was brought to light, I was able to let that go and be present for my daughter. But what I've realized is that a lot of time, if I've got some hidden resentments or some unforgiveness in my heart that I'm maybe unaware of, that it brings about physical pain. You know, I had physical pain in my neck, <laughs> you know, coming back from work. And I was like, and it was brought out. It was like, it was a lot. I was like, what is this? And it's like, I can kind of go through my 10th step and go, what is it? What is it really? You know? Mm -hmm. What is it that I'm doing that I'm hanging on to? And is there a level of unforgiveness that I have, you know, anywhere? You know, and I do a little self-examination. But also, Tim, when you were sharing about, you know, when you want to be consoled rather than to console, I think that there's times, especially when we don't feel good, that it's okay to be consoled, mm -hmm. you know? And it's also okay to ask for prayer from someone else and and that's not easy like what Jonathan was talking about you know like when he's 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 in the hospital bed he's helpless he's you know and even really hopeless to allow others in to be loved really difficult I think especially for alcoholics because you know it's like yeah I can give that but to receive that mm -hmm. to receive the help that we need and that's why I think it's important to pray for others I always am telling newcomers, you know what? You may not have a whole lot to offer, but you can offer prayer. You can offer your assistance through your prayers for someone else. Like my cousin was getting sober, and there was this newcomer guy. Or no, no, he wasn't even getting sober. He was far from getting sober. <laughs> he was like, this is like six years ago. And, and I said, you know what? I have this cousin. Will you pray for him? His name is Eric. And six years later, they are now sitting in a meeting together. <laughs> And I'm like, this is the guy you were praying for. And it's just like this wow. aha, you know, because like we can offer mm -hmm. prayers for someone else. It's just so amazing the miracles that take place. And it's just like Rosie said, you know, it's just by loving. Yeah, the hardest thing is the forgiveness of myself. We talked about that in uh, yesterday in the, when we were studying the eighth step. And I've based all this stuff on, and I've thought about this since we talked about it. I've based all this stuff on what it says in the big book about before we're halfway through, we will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. And I still have not done that. I, there's still some things with my children and my ex-wives that it just seems incredible that I it's like I'm saying that it, if I say well Rusty you're, you're forgiven now and move on it's like I'm saying well that stuff wasn't really that bad that you did Jonathan brought to the forefront when not everything in the big book is black and white because in my 40 years I've done as far as I know everything I can do to get to that point where I feel that I've forgiven myself and 
it has been such a long, slow process. And I often think if my kids would have turned out better, I, I don't think I'd be half feeling this way. But some of them haven't turned out the way that I think they should have turned out because I wasn't there to guide. I was out drunk. So we, ha we also have that self-forgiveness has been so difficult for me. Well, I think that it says when Bill wrote, we will not regret the past, nor wish to go through the world. I don't think that's accurate. I'm not trying to rewrite the, the text, but there are things I did that caused damage, and I regret that I was involved in that. I forgive myself for that. I know I was a sick guy. I didn't have any concept of what I was doing. I was doing. I was kind of a walking suicide that didn't die. And I talked to one of my sons who had serious problems. He was exposed to me a lot. Right after that conversation that we had in that meeting, and mm -hmm. I said, Dan, you deserve a better guy. You deserved a better dad. He said, Dad, you did the best you could. I was worried about you. And I saw what you were going through. Pretty, pretty nasty. And I said, you were young. He said, I know. And they said, I know you've been damaged by it. He said, probably. But that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. I mean, I didn't go, I didn't set out to be a drunken drug addict, mm -hmm. self-centered in the extreme. I did not want to be that guy, and yet I was. It caused damage. I regret the damage it caused, but I am not going to beat myself up over it. I have forgiven myself. I know God's forgiven me. And mm -hmm. the kids, for the most part, have forgiven me. Oh, every one of my kids, they've told me I'm, you were doing the best you could. Yeah. And for the last 40 years, I have done everything that I can in my kids' life. Right. I like to get that out, to know that if somebody else is dealing with that, that the time will come when, when that will pass too. I was in the hospital for months, and I went in, they amputated my foot, and I went into a uh, kind of recovery place for a week. And I had been on morphine, high doses of morphine and oxy and Dilaudid for months. And I said, they came in and said, we're going to release you on Saturday. It was on Monday. Saturday, you're out of here. You're, you're doing great. I said, then get me off the morphine, please. And the doctor said, well, I'll wean you up. I said, no, take me off morphine. He said, well, I'll do it, and then we're going to watch you carefully. So that Wednesday, he came in, he said, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. Take me off the oxy. And he took me off the oxy. He regretfully, he said, I don't really want to do this. And I said, I want you to. I had absolutely no withdrawal from anything. And I left that Saturday with no opiates, and I did not fill the prescription they gave me. And uh, I don't know how that worked, except a lot of people were praying for me. And mm -hmm. I mentioned that to him because I said, I'm fine, man. He said, well, you can call my office if you need. And I said, no, I'm fine. I said, I got a lot of people praying for me. He said, that must be it. So it seems to work. <laughs> this has been a production of childrenofchaos.net, and we invite you to share your thoughts with us via email to comments at childrenofchaos.net. Children of Chaos is a forum to discuss topics related to and in concert with addiction and recovery in America, is not affiliated with, endorsed, or financed by any recovery or treatment program, organization, or institution. Any views, thoughts, or opinions expressed by an individual in this venue are solely that of the individual 
and do not reflect the views, policies, or position of any specific recovery-based entity or organization.